Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, tax expert Ed Slot joins Morningstar's Christine Benz to prepare us for the upcoming tax season. Together, they discuss required minimum distributions, backdoor IRA do's and don'ts, and tax traps to avoid. Let's get started. First, Ed Slot and Christine Benz from Morningstar, Inc. clear up any confusion investors have around RMDs. Hi, I'm Christine Benz from Morningstar. Required minimum distributions have gotten a little bit trickier in 2022. Joining me to discuss what you need to know is tax and retirement planning expert, Ed Slot. Ed, thank you so much for being here. Okay, thanks, Christine. Great to have you here. I want to talk about IRA, RMDs, required minimum distributions from retirement accounts. Some things are changing regarding the tables that people use to calculate their RMDs. What should people know about this? Well, they should know that if (laughs) these rules generally apply to older people once you're 72 and between Congress and IRS and relief, they're making their lives miserable with all this complexity. You have the combination. It started with the SECURE Act raising the RMD age from 70 and a half to 72. Then the CARES Act came in and waived RMDs for 2020 and then IRS came in with new tables for 2022 that apply to almost everybody in 2022, but not everybody. So it's getting a little confusing on which tables to use and how much to take and which rules apply to you. It shouldn't be that complicated. No, it's it's super complicated. So I'm wondering if you can kind of discuss the substance of these new tables, like what's changing and what are the implications? And also, should everyone be using the new tables? Well, if you turn 70 and a half after 2020, you use age 72. So a better way to say it, if you turn 72 years old in the second half of 2021, you're using the new tables. And your first distribution would probably be for 2021. But the regular rules say when you're taking your first distribution, you have until April 1st of the next year to take that distribution. So if that's you, and this is your first distribution under the new rules, you may have not taken your 21 distribution. But as many people know already, if you do wait till the next year, till April 1st, if you defer it, then you have to take two distributions in that year. Your first one for the last year, 21, and the second one by the end of the year for 22. If that's your situation, and a lot of people watching may be in that situation, you actually use two different tables, even though everything out there says if you're taking RMDs in 22, you use the new 2022 tables. Not true in this case. You're taking your 2021 distribution RMD in 22, but because it's your 2021 distribution, you still use the old table for that one. But then for your second one, which is due by the end of the year, you switch to the new table. If you're just starting in 2022 and you didn't take distributions before, The table is for 2022 RMDs. Then you only use the new table. Okay, good to know. I wanted to ask about people who are IRA beneficiaries. There have been some changes for them as a result of the SECURE Act. So what do they need to know about RMDs and these tables that perhaps beneficiaries needed to use in the past? Well, most beneficiaries, non-spouse beneficiaries, 
will no longer get the so-called stretch IRA. The only categories that get them are surviving spouses and a couple of other categories. So most non-spouse beneficiaries like grandchildren or older children will now use a 10-year rule. But now it's been more made more complicated. Now, if you're on the 10-year rule, you shouldn't need any tables. By the end of the 10th year, everything has to come out. So you don't even need to know that. But now, thanks to the new IRS rules that just came out in late February, uh, that may not be the case. You may have a situation where you have to use the table for the first nine years, and then in the 10th year, everything comes out. If you inherited before uh, the person you inherited from, say dad died before his required beginning date, say before age 72, your 10-year rule, you don't need any tables. It's just there's no RMDs required for years one through nine, unless you want to take them, that's voluntary. Everything has to come out at the end of the 10th year. But if dad died while he had already begun RMDs, say at age 75 or 80, you're still on the 10-year rule. But according to these brand new rules, IRS is now taking the position in regulations they just released that you will have to take RMDs based on your life expectancy for years one through nine so there you use the new table and then in year 10 whatever the balance is at the end of the 10th year everything has to come out so the rules are a little bit more complicated for beneficiaries who don't get the stretch which is most of your non-spouse beneficiaries if they inherit from somebody who died after their required beginning date after age 72 so it, okay. it's getting a little more complicated Definitely. a lot more complicated <laughs> Definitely. So this seems like a spot if you are someone in, who has inherited an IRA, especially within the past couple of years, get some advice about how to proceed before uh, just taking those distributions. Would you say oh, yeah, that? But there, wait, there's more. Like I always say on public television, <laughs> if you're a beneficiary who inherited before the SECURE Act, let's say you inherited before 2020 and you were doing the stretch IRA, maybe you have 30 years, you get to continue that schedule. But now you get to use, which is a benefit, the new table, which slightly lowers your RMDs, but you have to go and reset your schedule to the new table. Oh boy. So just really quickly, can you discuss what the stretch IRA is so that people are clear on that? Yeah, it, what it was. Yes. <laughs> what it was for the beneficiaries who were able to take advantage of it. If you had a named beneficiary, say your child or your grandchild, they could go out once they inherit, defer it, and only take minimum distributions, but over their life expectancy, 10, 20, 30, 50, 70 years, if you had a young beneficiary. Congress decided in the SECURE Act that retirement accounts should be just for you, not as a wealth transfer or a state planning vehicle so your kids can defer it out for 50, 60, 70 years. So starting for people who inherited in 2020 or later, there's no more stretch IRA except for those special categories called eligible designated beneficiaries like your spouse. But non-spouses will be stuck with that 10-year rule. Everything has to come out by the end of the 10th year after death, even with a Roth IRA. So that's a, a big change. And if you don't have a Roth IRA, uh, the kids or who the uh, the inheritors will have to take it all out in ten years, bunching a lot of those a lot of that income into that shorter period. Okay, Ed, complicated stuff. Thank you so much for being here to unpack it for us. Our tax dollars at work. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for watching. I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. 
Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Next, the pair discuss what investors need to think about if they're considering a backdoor Roth contribution. Hi, I'm Christine Benz from Morningstar. The backdoor Roth IRA was reported to be on the chopping block, but it's lived to see another day. Joining me to discuss what you need to know if you're considering a backdoor Roth contribution is Ed Slott. He's a tax and retirement planning expert. Ed, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Christine. So let's talk about this backdoor Roth provision. We thought that it might be on the chopping block. Turns out it lived to see another day in 2022. So what should people know if they want to take advantage of this backdoor Roth? Maybe first talk about what it is. Well, some people want to do a Roth contribution, and that's not all we're talking about, not conversions where you can convert unlimited funds. So all we're talking about is making a Roth contribution, which the maximum for 22 uh, is 6,000 or 7,000 if you're 50 or over. So that's, that's what we're talking about. But some people whose income is too high, and it's a high level, they can't do it. They don't qualify. There's an income limitation. So over years, it came up, the people called it uh, a backdoor Roth. And IRS is okay with it. Even Congress was okay with it. But in the Build Back Better bill, that's some alliteration there, uh, Build Back Better bill, that was one of the first items on the chopping block. Apparently, Congress is not okay with that. And they said that would be the first thing to go. It was supposed to be banned beginning in 2022, regardless of income level. So across the board. But as as we speak, uh, depending on when you're watching that, uh, this program, uh, the Build Back Better bill is in pieces. So we don't know what's going to happen, but we know Congress has their eye on it. So what, what do you do for 2022? Well, technically, it's still allowable. So I guess you could do it. Or if you want to be more conservative, you may want to hold off until you know for sure. But uh, if you do it, if you do the backdoor Roth, and what you do, since you can't contribute to a Roth directly, you contribute to a traditional, which has no income limits, a traditional non-deductible IRA, and then soon after, you can convert it to a Roth. So you'll end up in the same place. That's why they call it the backdoor Roth. But uh, once you do a conversion, you can't go back. Now, the Build Back Better bill had a provision to ban this as of January 1st, 2022. I think if the, even if this thing resurfaces, they would have to change the effective date. So I think you're probably okay if you do it now, because even if somehow this got through as law, people actually, there is no mechanism to undo it because remember the last step is a Roth conversion and under the tax law, Roth conversions cannot be undone. So how could they make you undo something that the tax law says you can't undo? It'd be a real mess. If anything, if it ever came to be that Congress got their wish and banned these things, they'd have to do it prospectively, just my opinion, because it'd be a mess otherwise. So technically, I believe it is available now. Okay, good Good to know. So, and you think it's unlikely that it would be retroactive. I want to talk about some of the things that can kind of trip up people as they go about executing this backdoor Roth or two-step Roth IRA maneuver. Um, one of the things is this piece of paperwork that should accompany the contribution, this Form 8606. What do people need to know about that? 
Well, 8606 comes into play whenever you make a non-deductible contribution to your IRA. You're supposed to keep track because you didn't get a tax deduction. So you have a benefit called basis. In other words, when the money comes out, you shouldn't pay tax on that money. But it's a little more complicated than that. You can't just pull out the the uh, after-tax money and pay no taxes, what's called a pro rata rule, and that calculates itself on your form 8606, but that's up to you. Nobody reports that. You have to report that on your own tax return. So when you convert on this backdoor Roth, let's say you did six or 7,000 and then you convert it, you didn't get a deduction. Uh, you have to take all your other IRAs into account. Many people think, well, I didn't get a deduction. I did a $6,000 contribution to a non-deductible IRA. So I can convert the whole 6,000 right to a Roth tax-free. No, not if you have other IRAs, they have to be taken into the mix. So if this this amount your uh it's a compl it's a, not that complicated but it's a formula basically that the percentage of your after tax money compared to the value of all your IRAs uh, that's the part that's going to be tax free in many cases if you have a large IRA balance 6000 over you know 2 3 400000 isn't going to be much that's tax free so generally, most people will end up with other IRAs, will end up paying tax, but they still get the money in the Roth. Okay. Well, that's what I wanted to ask for someone who has, say, a lot of uh, rollover assets that have never been taxed. Is the presence of those assets in this pro rata rule that you just discussed, should that be a disincentive to go ahead and take advantage of this backdoor Roth maneuver? No, I don't think so. Remember, you're not talking about big amounts, 6,000, 7,000 at most, and you still end up getting the funds in the Roth that begin to grow tax-free. And okay. if you're a married couple, you may be able to double that, husband and wife. Right. So another um, question that kind of comes into play with these backdoor Roth uh, contributions is how long you need to wait from the time that you Put the money into the traditional IRA um, and when you convert it. Is there any sort of rule of thumb that people should bear in mind? I have my own rule. There's no rule of thumb, and Congress was okay with that. They're okay with the backdoor Roth. So is IRS. In fact, uh, we used to think, you know, a lot of tax people when this first came out, oh, that's a step transaction. You know, you can't, none of that. You don't have to worry about that. Matter of fact, uh, in the original House bill, not the bill, but their explanation that they put out, they even used the word, uh, you make a contribution to a traditional IRA and then shortly thereafter convert it. So they know that's what happens. My own rule is I say, wait one month. So you get monthly statements generally on your IRA. This way, at one moment in time, you see it in the IRA, and the next moment in time, you see it in the Roth, so there's some separation. That's just a practical aspect, but there's no real waiting period. Many people were worried about that early on. I think now they're just more worried about is if the benefit's going to continue. True. So can you discuss if someone waits too long, the potential issue with that, with <laughs> the conversion taxes, can you talk about that? Yeah, it could be. If you, if you did the uh, contribution to the traditional IRA, you know, when this first came out, there was another speaker out there saying, oh, wait a year. You know, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't wait. I would wait till it resolves itself, maybe in one statement period and then convert it. I wouldn't wait too long. Exactly. As you said, that could be messy. If you have it in the traditional IRA, then all of a sudden some bill comes out, some piece of this bill back better bill and says that's out, then you, you might be stuck. 
Okay, Ed, great overview of what's going on with the Backdoor Roth. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Christine. Thanks for watching. I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. Lastly, Ed Slot tells us what mistakes and traps to watch for during the 2022 tax season. Hi, I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. We're coming into IRA season and few people understand the ins and outs of IRAs, as well as tax and retirement planning expert Ed Slot. He's here to discuss some mistakes and things to watch out for in the realm of IRAs. Ed, thank you so much for being here. Great. Thanks, Christine. So I want to talk about some administrative IRA tax traps that people should be on the lookout for. I think there's probably no one better equipped to discuss that with us than you. So let's talk about um, making sure that your IRA contribution, if you've just made one, making sure that it's applied to the right year. How should people check up on that and what can go wrong there? Yeah, this has been a somewhat of a problem with the custodians only between January 1st and April 15th. But in the wake of the pandemic, you know, there's uh, staff shortages, people working from home at the custodians. I don't know, we, we start to see a li little more in the way of errors. So if you're making a contribution, remember, you have until April 15th of this year, 2022, to make an IRA, a Roth IRA contribution for last year. But a lot of people also are making their 2022 contributions. Make sure the contribution you make, if you're making one now between January 1st and April 15th, it could be for either year. Make sure whatever year, if it's 2021, it's earmarked coded for 2021. And if it's for 2022, that's where I see the mistakes. People uh, making an early 2022 contribution and it automatically gets coded 21 because that's what most people are doing. This happened to somebody in my family a few years ago and it was a, even though it was a small IRA contribution, we had to redo the 1099s, it was a real mess. Make sure, follow up on your transactions, talk to the custodian, some of them you could see online. We just had this with somebody, they checked and got an answer. They said, no, in fact, it was for 2022. What I tell people, just a practice rule. You don't have to. I know it's good to make your contribution early in the year. Uh, I would say don't make your 2022 IRA contribution until after April 15th. Then it cannot be coded uh, for 21 because you can't do that anymore. Then you can't make a mistake or other people can't. Okay, good to know. So another area of confusion certainly is the eligibility for contributions that depends on a few things, but mainly your income level. What do people know about that and how can they kind of stub their toes sometimes if they're, they're not necessarily aware of the rules there? Well, there's a couple of things you can do wrong. You can co contribute too much. Uh, you could have IRAs in different institutions. They don't know what the other people are doing. You could have Fidelity, Vanguard, you have one at both. All of a sudden, for somehow you did a Roth contribution to both and now you're over. They don't know you already did one. Uh, even on uh, the tax preparer can tell you, because when uh, you have a, a good tax program, it will have a diagnostic said, oh, you did a Roth conversion, you have too much, or your income was over the limit, you don't qualify. Remember, when you make a Roth contribution, some people do it themselves online with the fund company. They don't know that you don't qualify because of income, that's on you. So you have to make sure you qualify and you don't over contribute. What's the mechanism, say someone does make the wrong type of contribution, they weren't eligible to make, say, a, a traditional deductible IRA contribution, they need to do Roth. 
Um, what's the mechanism for a kind of undoing the wrong contribution type? Is well, there's a couple of things. If you don't, if you uh, contributed to an uh, ineligible, let's say you made too much for a Roth, but you contributed anyway, you could recharacterize that as an IRA contribution if you qualify for the IRA. By the way, some people make contributions and they don't even, they're not even eligible. They don't have compensation. Some people, retirees, they say, well, I have pension income. Doesn't that qualify? No, it has to be earnings from a job or self-employment. So again, the financial institution, or if you're going online and doing yourself, they don't know if you have income, but uh, if you do that, you have an excess contribution and it has to be uh, taken out by the time, by generally by October 15th of the year after to avoid a 6% penalty. If you qualify for one and not the other, let's say you don't qualify for the Roth, you have the compensation, but you made too much money. And if you still qualify for the traditional IRA and you want it, you can just recharacterize it. You'll have to deal with your custodian, your financial institution to tell them, no, switch that to my IRA and it will be treated as if it was always there. Okay. So you mentioned that earned income requirement, Ed. I want to just have you briefly touch on spousal IRA contributions. I think sometimes people look for spousal IRA on the form and they, they won't find it. What do they need to know if they want to make a contribution on behalf of a non-earning spouse? Yeah, that's a good point. That's an exception to having to have compensation. If you're married filing a joint return, and let's say one only one spouse is working, let's say they're 50 or over, so they could do 7,000, say to a, a Roth IRA, and they qualify under the income limits, but only one spouse is working. Uh, the, the other non-working spouse can actually use the working spouse's compensation to qualify. So they could each do 7,000, even though the non-working spouse doesn't have his or her own income. Most people miss that. So a couple like that could put away 14,000, 7,000 each in their Roth IRA, for example, even if only one spouse is working. And you're right, there's no line for spousal contributions. It's your own IRA. You just qualify. That's what it's called. Actually, there's a, another word for it in the tax code. Uh, they named it after somebody. I think it was Kate Bailey Hutchinson, but nobody says Kate Bailey Hutchinson IRA. They still <laughs> call it the spousal IRA. Uh, so, it, but that's just the name. It's your own IRA. Let's say you're the spouse without the income. It's just your, uh, your own IRA you put in based on the working spouse's income. Okay, good to know. I want to touch on beneficiary designations. People can run into trouble there. I think people often wonder who to name as a beneficiary for their IRAs. What should people know as they think about and review those beneficiary designations? Well, you should always name the person you want. Most married couples name each other and that's fine, but make sure you, the main thing is, you know, you pick who you want. You shouldn't pick beneficiaries based on the tax law. It should be the people that you want. And then you work around, you know, whatever the uh, tax rules would be for those beneficiaries. The main thing is to make sure your beneficiary form, which is for many people now online is correct and current. You know, there are things that happen, especially after the pandemic, what I call life events. You have a birth, a death, a marriage, a divorce, a remarriage. You had a new grandchild changing the tax law or somebody forgetting your birthday. There are reasons to change beneficiaries. So just make sure whatever form you have. And if it's online, I would even print it out to have a copy so your beneficiaries can have it. They're the people that will need it. And we see in this digital world now, a lot of beneficiaries can't get in if it's online. Uh, some people even have facial recognition.
recognition. So you better give passwords or digital access. That's why I like the idea of printing it out. Okay, print it out and maybe keep it safe. Want to talk about online conversions from traditional? That's where the big problems are now. Remember the tax cuts. What's that? Let's talk about that. Yeah. Remember, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, made Roth conversions permanent. There's no backsees, no do-overs, no recharacterizations, we used to call them. Once you convert, you will owe the tax, even if your financial situation changes later on. Now, that shouldn't be a reason to deter you from converting, but you want to have a good tax uh, projection so you know what it will cost. But now, a lot of people doing it yourself, you know, it's one of the negatives of the financial technology. They make it so easy to go on there and we've already heard stories i had one story and they weren't able to resolve it where a guy went online he hit the wrong button and converted he wanted to he had about a two million dollar ira wanted to convert 150,000. he hit the wrong button converted the whole two million he owes tax on the two million he went back to the institution they said we can't change something you did so i would say let the financial institution or let the advisor do it if there's enough money involved if they were to make the mistake there's a good chance it could be undone but we're seeing this there is no cure for this in the tax code because there's no recharacterization no undoing and even though people been screaming about it uh, there we see no relief from irs and i think it's because irs doesn't want to open that door that they uh, once they open the door and say well you can undo it for certain reasons everybody that has buyer's remorse might say well i made a mistake so be very careful before you convert online you will owe the tax or get the help of the financial institution get somebody else to blame (laughs) okay well ed that's great advice thank you so much for being here thanks christine thanks for watching i'm christine benz for morningstar That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC, is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.